Malcolm Dix, God bless him, uh, left this mortal coil yesterday and uh, we've got some fine gentlemen here to discuss um, Malcolm and the life that he led and uh, proud to, to be on the screen with these guys, uh, John Gibson and Malcolm, of course, who uh, are regulars on a Thursday with our own show and delighted to uh, welcome John Woff tonight, who was part of the Magpie Group alongside Sir John Hall and, of course, alongside Gibbo. Um, Back in the uh, the eighties and nineties, when uh, the battle for United Part One took place, but uh, welcome, guys. Um, I'm going to start with you, John. You're in the top corner because you you spent a, a lot of time with Malcolm, um, especially in that well documented battle for Newcastle United, uh, where we tried to, you know, Malcolm tried to get the club off Lord Westwood in first, but then obviously the the battle with uh, McKeague, which which led to the Magpie Group being formed and, and subsequently being taken over by Sir John. And, uh, well, we know the rest is history. But, you know, just tell us a little bit about Malcolm, the man himself, John. Well, first of all, I would like to expand a little bit on the Lord Westwood era. Uh, John would be familiar with it, of course. But there are some aspects that very few people understand. Um, Malcolm, of course, did uh, apply to become a director and um, a bit tongue-in-cheek because he, I never, I, I don't think he ever thought he was going to be invited uh, into that particular boardroom. However, um, when uh, it actually did blow up and Fold up. There was an AGM that was put forward uh, by the board and primarily Lord Westwood. And on that agenda was to um, have the missing shareholders after a certain given period where they weren't responding from the records of addresses in the company documents. Um, there was a proposal that the existing board would be able to reallocate those shares um, after a given time. Now, Markham was on his own then. This is before we got together. You know, Alan Rooney and um, Peter Raffcliffe joined them, and the, the AGM was called. So Markham opposed the uh, proposals in that AGM and uh, by himself he managed to gather 26 or 27% of the votes and he blocked that now if he hadn't succeeded because Malcolm won on that particular issue and if he hadn't when Sir John came along, there wouldn't have been the missing shareholders, which we really went to town on and actually achieved a huge success with the Magpie Group. But Malcolm actually blocked the very thing that Westwood was trying to do, which would have locked the club up. Not yeah. many people realise that. And Malcolm did it on his own. It's an amazing insight that John Gibson and, and you know, from, from your perspective, you know, you, you had two hats on, really, as usual. You had your reporter's hat on and you had your fans' hat on, uh, but you became really close uh, to, to Malcolm. Yeah, yeah, from a very early day in John, I remember, of course. I remember sitting, well, probably the beginning of the 70s, John, uh, in a bar just round the corner from where the Irish Centre is now, you know, Chinatown there, sitting in a bar with Malcolm, who was explaining to me what he was going to do in challenging Newcastle United. He, he was a shareholder himself, is what we've been talking about through Walter Dick's dad. And he was discussing, and I, I remember sitting there and being stimulated by him, 
and being enthralled by him and thinking that he was mad as a hatter because he was so, so bold and so brave on taking on these Newcastle people. And you thought, what danger is this to yourself? Because obviously Malcolm hadn't the clout, or none of us had the clout of Sir John in terms of the financial clout of Sir John. And you just... I feared for Malcolm uh, financially that if he rattled cages so long and irritated so many people, there would be a price to pay. And, I, and there was for the lad for for a while. There was a big financial price to pay. But it was almost it was always a guy, you know, that, that whose pot pint pot was half full. It wasn't half empty. And he was like a bouncy ball. When he was put down, he bounced straight back up again and come up with the, the, the next thing that happened. And him and John and other people. The formation of the Newcastle Supporters Association uh, and the, num- the famous number nine bar, which John will remember, opening yeah. up in, um, in uh, Gallagher there was opened by War Jackie June the 9th, 1980. Um, and an open... An open-top coach drawn by a horse came round the city from Bambus, I think, if I'm right. Up yeah, to the was. yeah, yeah. We, we, and on that on that coach was Albert Stubbins, Peter With, Len White, Ron McGarry, Charlie Wayman, and the number nine bar was transformed, and the supporters had a place to meet, which which was the Newcastle Supporters Association, and as you remember, John. The, the the forerunner of all the fanzines that now happen the supporter started then with the supporter which was the the fanzine the paper which was twenty thousand were printed and handed out free to fans on match days and that was the forerunner of everything that's happening now and that was the foresight that that Malcolm Dix and those close to him had. And it was a privilege of mine to be in and the birth of that. And, you know, a lot of people think with the utmost respect to Sir John, and I know exactly how much he um, pays tribute to Malcolm. A lot of people think Newcastle takeover and Newcastle all happened with Sir John. As John Woff knows and as I know and as with Peter Ratcliffe and other people, it started way before that. and it was that that inspired Sir John. I was sitting in his house, Sir John's house, yesterday morning when the news came through that Malcolm had finally passed away. We all knew the struggle that he was having. And um, John was saying the very lovely phrase that if, if, if Malcolm Dix hadn't fought the first battle, John would never have won the war. And the Magpie Group would never have won the war because we had to have the first battle first. And he was on about how Malcolm Dix uh, badgered him three or four times to try to get behind the movement to take over Newcastle United. And John said he was too busy with building the Metro Centre at the time, which tended to keep you busy. The Metro Centre was a, a little bit important to the yeah. town at the moment. <clears throat> That the one side we want to save Newcastle United, um, but he said he was too busy and he didn't, um, he wouldn't get involved. And Malcolm was looking for another way of getting him to get involved, and very cleverly went to a, a dear mate of mine, another hardcore <laughs> man, a lovely, lovely man, and got Bob to go in and talk to John Hall, you know, on behalf of a national newspaper which Bob was was, uh, was representing. And Bob was clever. He decided rather than go in, he would go in accompanied. And the accompaniment was a bottle of whiskey. Bottle of whiskey, yeah. He stuck the top off the bottle of whiskey. And he thought, John wasn't a whiskey drinker. But he thought, if I can get him on the whiskey and get him a bit maudling about the wonderful times. And he he was pouring John the whiskey. And the more he poured the whiskey, and the more maudling John got, and the more romantic he got, he finally took the plunge and started to support the whole thing. And out of that, we got the Magpie Group. And out of that, we got success. Absolutely. Malcolm, Malcolm uh, you obviously played for Newcastle in the 70s. You're a, you're a legend in these parts. But, you know, you, you go away from a football club and, and sometimes that's it. We don't see anybody. But you were back. You, you, you came, you know, you were a frequent visitor to St. James's Park. Of course, you managed 
you know, Fulham at, at Newcastle. But you uh, you often kept your eye on what was going on up here. What was what was your first encounter and what was your first recollection of Malcolm Dix? Um, it came um, when I was a player. And we were... <clears throat> it was after a match and we were... We were out at one of the clubs in the in in the city, and Malcolm and I, we got into conversation, <coughs> and in all honesty, we finished up really having an argument. He was giving a supporter's point of view, and I was giving the player's point of view um, over how the club should be, and of course, it, it was wholly unlikely that we were ever going to agree on that. Um, uh, uh, but M Malcolm had, what I realised about him was that he had this very fixed picture in his head of where he wanted and what he wanted the club to be. And, um, and I think that he spent his life chasing that um, and, and manoeuvring in all sorts of ways. And whenever we did meet up, uh, we never had a, a, another row as such, but we always used to have very interesting discussions. And I, and, and I, I, I had a lot of admiration for him. Um, he, he just stuck to his guns all the time and it didn't matter how you sort of tried to dispel his argument he just stuck to his guns and kept going forward with it um and and just listening to you guys um i, I can see now why he took it as far and for as long as he did because the man he was stubborn he was, uh, John, and that was something, uh, John Woff. This was something, John, that essentially, you know, put him in, put him in, the, you know, pole position, I guess, to to lead this kind of uh, action against people who weren't running the club as the way he saw it. Well, Markham had a target that never really moved, and it didn't change, as Markham says. His target was to actually achieve what we ended up achieving. So, whatever happened in between really was was just um, as we get through different phases. Ah, oh, there you are. We, uh, we did attempt to uh, bring that man here a few times. Um, Brian Clough, of course. Yes. But um, th there was one thing that Malcolm used to do, which was looking back now on it, was, was quite unique because... Um, if anyone ever worked alongside Malcolm on a project, you will not be surprised to hear that Malcolm's lists are very famous. Whenever there was a meeting, Malcolm used to sit, first of all, and hand out cards, about three inches by six. And on each card, there was your list. And that list, he always chased up the next week and so if the aspects of whatever was on your list, Malcolm's lists are famous and they must <laughs> mount a huge record in his, um, well, they've got a bedroom that isn't a bedroom. It's a storeroom and lots and lots of those lists must be in there. That was part of Malcolm's list, uh, his life. But he had a very clear target all of the time. And after we'd done the things that we did, and um, we went, uh, we called an EGM because we got some legal advice that there was a thing called oppression of the minority shareholding going on. And unfortunately, mm. the opinion wasn't quite as accurate as we would have liked to have been. But Malcolm, along with another shareholder, put himself forward. Um, as uh, the um, mover for an AGM, which we had. And that was when we were all behind Malcolm and we did a lot of work leading up to that um, particular um, AGM. 
And there was a time when, uh, John will remember this, Westwood had a little um, uh, news bulletin before, uh, on the night of that AGM, where he predicted the meeting would be over in five minutes. Well, it lasted two and a half hours. And I can tell you, it became a very fraught um, meeting because Malcolm nearly won. And the reason we didn't win on that night was because George Dixon, who was the biggest shareholder, you'll recall, and we later went on to buy his shares, he had given his proxy to the board that night. And um, when the tellers come around to do uh, a vote count first, he asked for his proxy back and said, as a shareholder, I want to actually vote my shares on the night. And the tellers refused to do that. And that's Ooh. illegal. That is actually illegal. Yeah. Unfortunately, George was a very quiet man and he didn't react mm. and, and demand it back. But if George had withdrawn his votes on proxy that night and then voted with us, Westwood and all the others would have been out and Malcolm would have been in charge. That's how near we got on that night. Lots and lots of things, I promise you, that were banks of experience that we took forward when eventually Sir John came along. Fascinating that, uh, John Gibson, yeah. isn't it, to hear that. I mean, this is, the, this is just like, you know, something which, you know, we thought our takeover was long and drawn out, but this one really went the distance as well. Absolutely. Oh, without without a shadow of doubt, um, this was a long, long, bloody battle. The the Magpie Group battle as well when it when it came along because as John knows only too well because John was at the front of this in terms of the shares. It's a different sort of takeover to what happened when Ashley come in and what's happened now when Amanda's come in with her partners because now once the club is concentrated by one man or one group, which John established at Newcastle because the, the group essentially became John Hall. Um, and then it was Mike Ashley and now it is Amanda and the Saudis. Then the power was held in the shares, which were scattered all over the country. There was major shareholders to pick off like Dixon and the Mackenzies and the famous families where shares were passed down from father to son and they automatically ran Newcastle, the great Newcastle families of Mackenzies and the, and the Dixons and, uh, and the Teagues and the Rutherfords. And every, then they were scattered all over the place. So you had to spend a, lo a long time picking off each individual family and little shareholders holding 10 shares here and 20 shares there and 100 shares there. It was very different and that was always going to take time. It wasn't a matter of now the Saudis and Amanda talking with Ashley and then the deal's done or it's not done. It's concentrated now, isn't it? Uh, apart from when the Premier League wants to make it a bit interesting. Um, but then it was very, very different, and it was a different fight. And then, um, I mean, at times it was surreal. I mean, John and um, uh, and Peter Ratcliffe, Alan Rooney were in the front line of, of, of challenging and getting the shares on behalf of John. And I was the sort of PR guy to make certain the fans knew what was going on because John was very, uh, sort of very important that the fans were on board in the way that Amanda Stavely is trying to do now, keep the fans informed on what's happening. That was part of, of my job. There are times I was meeting directors privately, etc. And it was like James Bond stuff. I mean, I went to meet one particular director and uh, he changed where we met we'll meet here and then he took me somewhere else and and then he asked me to go in his kitchen and uh, he turned the tap on on the uh, 
just in case I was wired so that they, there would be no sound come out. So I'm standing in the kitchen with this tap on, full belt, all the hot water's coming out, my glasses are misted up, and I'm thinking, what's this all about? Like, I said, are you going to fill the kettle or having a cup of tea? <laughs> no, no, we're not. It was just in case I was wired. Um, but, I mean, you know, to a simple lad like me who got into this just to support NUFC, I thought, is this, what's this, James Bond? Or what life have you got? <laughs> Absolutely fascinating at the time. But it's only fascinating, you know, when you win. And eventually, thank goodness, we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Malcolm. It's been you know it's it's been a, a hell of a ride uh, for for Malcolm Dixon, and, and and I guess the thing that we we probably all know him for, other than um, you know his involvement with fighting the, the good fight at Newcastle United, Sport Newcastle, and he's done so much work in the community. And I think Gibbo's headline tonight was you know he should never be forgotten, and I mean that is very very true because he was he was a member of more committees than I've had. Uh, hot dinners. Um, usually, he was the chairman at some point of these committees. I mean, he got me involved with Sport Newcastle. He got me involved at the Tyne Theatre and Opera House as part of, a, of of being a trustee. And you know, but Sport Newcastle, I think, is is one of those things that he can be immensely proud of because the fact that the money that was raised by Sport Newcastle over the fifty odd years now, yes, fifty, um, is is all gone into to bring in on the young sports stars of tomorrow. And Victoria Pendleton's probably the a biggest name of recent days that we can remember. But Jonathan Edwards is another one who goes along and supports who benefited. And, um, you know, the, 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 the awards that were handed out to those youngsters probably, you know, you know pushed them on to go on and achieve greatness. And, and that's got to be admired. That's got to be surely another one of his legacies, Malcolm. Yes, uh, it, it, it must be. Sorry, Steve, you caught me because I've been hearing the name Malcolm so often this evening. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, it's just all Malcolm and John, isn't it? It's all Malcolm and John. His other legacy, legacy Supermac, is essentially <laughs> Sport Newcastle. You know, yes. Um, other than the Magpie. I, I don't know where he found them all the time. Um, and and yet, when you, when you met him, he was such a sort of self-effacing guy, you know, there was, uh, um, he, he, he just came across as a, as a lovely, simple fella, and yet he had so much going on underneath the surface, um, uh, as you've been describing. And, uh, and you're right, I don't think that he'll ever be forgotten. I think he's been a, a, an integral part of Newcastle United and the city of Newcastle itself. Um, and, and of course, f- for all of his efforts, you know, when you, when you just look at, at how things have turned out um, at Newcastle United, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's um, seriously on its way up. So Malcolm can, uh, um, he and his, and his family, they can, um, they, they've been a part of creating all of that. And uh, so uh, uh, I, I, I sometimes think back to the, to the arguments that we had. Um, but of course, when, when we were having those arguments, he had never made it clear just what he was really up to and doing. I knew him merely as, as a supporter. But he was an awful lot more than that. And as the years have gone by, um, I've been quite surprised as to how involved in all sorts of things that he's been. And he's going to be a sad loss to all of them, all of those different institutions. If I may say so, Steve, one, I mean, we can't underestimate, but we talk about Newcastle because it's so important and it touches all our lives and so high profile within the city. But the jobs he done with the Newcastle Sports Council that become Sport Newcastle over 50 years where he was secretary or chairman or president and the work that group did, I worked very closely with uh, that group of people for 40 odd years initially 
very much through Malcolm Dix and everyone since. And there were wonderful, special days and they helped everybody. As you say, I mean, Jonathan Edwards talks about the first real pair of spikes he had as a kid came from Sport Newcastle, who recognised his ability and supported him with with their gear. And Mike McLeod, everybody's gone down that street. I remember Malcolm Dix on the very early days when uh, one of the top awards went to Jackie Milburn way, way back. And it was given by, it was handed out by the Duke of Edinburgh. And there's the Duke of Edinburgh sitting up on the top table. And who's that guy sitting next to him? In fact, the guy sitting next to everybody was always Malcolm Dix. So in mm. the end, we, the question used to be, who's that sitting next to Malcolm Dick? Completely the other way. And, I mean, I went and I did the famous interview I did when John meets John at Seven the Chronicle, which was Elton John. And I used to do in those days the, the, the mic work for Sport Newcastle or the Sports Council. And Elton John was doing the um, the, the talking that night. And... Uh, there he was, and I, I got a special interview with him and got a rapport with him. And Malcolm was always part of that, was always enthusiastic. And the main thing, you know, the lovely thing, and I mean this is the biggest compliment you can give him. If you have a cork and you pop it in your sink, which is full of water, and you put your thumb on the top of it and you press it down into the water, when you take your thumb off, it bobs back up to the top. Malcolm did that Every day mm. that God sends. If, mm. if he was ever put under pressure and under the water, you bet your boots he would pop right back up there and continue on. What John said yesterday morning when I was sitting with him in, in his house and we were talking about Malcolm, because we just heard about Malcolm, he said he's a gentle man. Mm. Well, as yeah. a gentleman. And that is what Malcolm Dix was in that. His family have every right to be mightily proud of the man mm -hmm. and what he achieved at, New at Newcastle, the city of Newcastle, under amazing odds. I mean, he ended up as an honorary um, vice president of Newcastle United, as John Woff himself is, bless him. And his, his fingers, you talk, Steve, about him being not just involved with Newcastle United, but the Sports Council, the, the Time Theatre, uh, the very early days he was involved in the music scene in Newcastle. He was a big, big figure behind Newcastle Gosford, the, the rugby club that has now become the Falcons, which was originally uh, just Gosford and was very big and won the John Player Cup, etc., become Newcastle Gosforth and then become Newcastle Falcons. He was he was on the committee there. He, if there was something happening, Malcolm would be part of it. It was like yeah. you know, opening an envelope. Whenever something happened, there was Malcolm because he was on so many committees, helped so many people. It was absolutely untrue. And I think it was it was supermarket said how on earth did he find the time? And, and that's true. And he, yet he found the time for his family, who he adored. And his life has been very, very full. And while I am absolutely decimated by Malcolm's passing, I think we ought to look now on everything as a celebration of a great life very well lived, as opposed to being miserable. He would prefer us to give a round of applause for the life he led he lived rather than be absolutely desperate and more mm. the whole thing. God bless him for what he did for this city. Because you know it's like most things, isn't it? The great work that is often done is outside of the public domain. It's under the surface. That's where mm. the proper work is done. That's where the magpie work was done by people like John Woffin by people like Malcolm Dixon, Alan Rooney, and Peter Ratcliffe. That's where the work was done that enables the fountainhead to come out up front and the job's completed. But a lot of work is done beneath the surface and a lot of work in various things, in rugby, in the theatre, in Newcastle United, was done by Malcolm Dixon. John Woff, tell us, tell us about... Yeah. 
the the feeling and you know how Malcolm reacted, I guess, to the the celebration after after the takeover went through in in your day. Because I know from my perspective, having been involved in in the recent takeover to a degree, that I felt deflated. And the, the one call that I got was was from you, um, you know, and and you were wondering why I wasn't dancing around my living room. But when I told you that I was feeling rather dejected and depressed you said it's it'll pass but it's not surprising because you've been pushing an immovable object for for years now Stephen and finally you've got nothing else to push and those words of wisdom from you John were were massively helpful to me but how did you guys feel when when it went through for for you and Malcolm in particular well in particular the same feeling because we'd been pushing against this unbreakable wall for so long and then suddenly it wasn't there it just was gone and there's a little bit of a void you're really unsure because you want to be dancing on the ceiling but it actually does pass and the realism of the breakthrough eventually comes um as far as Malcolm's concerned I would like to point out that during the time when he was doing all of these things and, um, you know, the Sports Council, uh, the Magpie Group, all of that, he was also running a business to earn a living for his family. So he wasn't as though he didn't have other things to do. In fact, his, his brother was very much against the time that he used to spend because... You know, Malcolm would never refuse anybody help. If you rang him up, he would take on board what you were talking about and and trying and do something for you. But Brother Bart wasn't too happy about that. And that was always a problem. When we were doing the Magpie Group, uh, I would have uh, a, a daily lunchtime with Alan Rooney and we would sneak a call through to Malcolm quite often starting to talk about our cookers so that his brother would hear him talk about the cookers uh, and then we would change the subject, which he didn't need to reply to. But that was a problem Malcolm still had to earn a living. And during all of that, he did very successfully achieve that. I used to think there's more than one of these guys around, you know, but there's more than one Malcolm Dix because where does he get the time from? But he always did. Always did. I'd like to point out as well, when I talked about the Westwood um, EGM and that it took two and a half hours, we did feel, but it was that close as I've described. But the bitterness that came directed at Malcolm from that was because they um, ended up having a, um, a, a um, financial um, uh, assault on Malcolm's personal uh, situation. And they attempted to get a, uh, a charge on his house um, for the costs. And that in itself was a, an issue that um, when you look around the room, sometimes people have disappeared out of that room. Well, fortunately for Malcolm, um, me and Alan Rooney um, uh, helped him and made sure that didn't affect his family because Malcolm put himself on the line many times. And that was an example of when he had put forward his name for the action and ended up with uh, a, 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 a result against him. Um, but fortunately, it didn't actually affect his family. But it didn't stop him coming again and working with us uh, on on the other projects that came along. Yeah, I mean, just going through some of the photographs there that we uh, we loaded on tonight, and there are lots of happy memories, lots of different things that Malcolm, uh, you know, was involved in with the club. But uh, certainly, his greatest achievement was was helping the Magpie Group wrestle control of the club. Um, we will talk a little bit about current affairs because I know we agreed that before we came on. But um, 
final words on on Malcolm Dix. Um, firstly, from you, John Woff. Well, Malcolm is a, a part of my life that I'm very, very grateful that I came across him, and uh, I look back with great um, uh, uh, um, memories that I can take to my grave. Great memories. John Gibson? Yeah, a very, very special man. Um, down the years, I've been lucky enough to win quite a few awards as a journalist in, in national ones as well as Northeast ones, Great Britain ones. But I always thought, you know, that the real award that I should have won I never did, which was much better than anything I did by uh, coining phrases in the Chronicle, was my privilege to be part of the Magpie group with John, who's on screen with me, with Malcolm, with Alan Rooney, with Peter Ratcliffe, all dear, dear friends, and Sir John, of course. And for me, because I'm a Newcastle United fan, because I have been since being a little lad on the terraces, my greatest achievement was being part of the Magpie Group. For me, the greatest thing that I'm proud of is being part of the Magpie Group. And when you were asking, Steve, how you felt when this takeover happened and how John Woff felt when our takeover happened, may I add what I felt when that takeover happened, when the Magpie Group takeover happened? I felt terrified. You know why? Because I thought, what if we fail? We fought for two years to take over. What if results are as bad now as they were under the other lot? I mean, I went cold. I had won. I had something to fight until we won. And when we won, I thought, my God, what happens now? If it, what happened? Thank goodness. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We got into the Kevin Keegan, the entertainers, the third division, gone second top of the Premier League. Thank goodness for that. That was my salvation. I was sweating like the bull in the field when we took over in case it's okay taking over, but what if it goes pear-shaped in? The whole fans say, well, what are you lot about? You took over the club and you've bombed like everybody else. The John Hall's Magpie group didn't bomb. For that, I'm grateful. And as far as Malcolm Dix is concerned, it's been an absolute privilege to work with him professionally and even more of a privilege to know him privately as a man. There's people that stand out in your life that are sort of milestones along your life, aren't they? Uh, and he is one of them. In the time I spent with John and the other boys with the Magpie Group, I will treasure forever. Very, very special time feel very humble about it. I was lucky to be allowed to hitch me wagon onto the back of that. And I've got great memories of it. Super Mac, last oh. word on Malcolm. <laughs> all, all I can say is I've certainly, uh, uh, um, for, for as long as I, I knew Malcolm Dix, I had no idea just how uh, um, he had been involved in all, in, in all of these good works. Um, uh, certainly, I, I knew him in, in one or two of them, but not uh, um, such a, a huge number. But, um, and it, it really has been um, quite a tribute that you have paid for him. And all I can say is, John, you must be considering writing a biography on the man for sure, <laughs> because it... it it's not publicly known all that has been said. And, and, and really, you've, you've just touched the tip of the mountain, I think, of the man. There, there's no question about that. And John Wolf knows better than anybody because John was a fun gunner in the whole of the Magpie group. And there's such... We can't go on about it now because we'd have to go on all night and order a breakfast of bacon and eggs for the end of the program <laughs> if we took it all kick by kick. But there's so much that isn't in the public domain. There's so much to be told. I can't think of anybody better to tell it than the guy who's on the screen sitting above me right now on the split screen. Um, happy, happy days. And I hope 
that John, John Wolf, has the huge satisfaction he should have for the part he played in the Magpie Group. I know that Malcolm did, and I know how much John Hall is appreciative of everybody else. He is very anxious that he doesn't take all the glory just because he was the front man that other people who are outriders but did the critical, critical work get recognised for that. One of those was Malcolm Dix, an absolute pleasure to see him. We've lost a dear, dear friend, uh, but he'll live on in so many hearts of everybody he touched. And then I think uh, the people on screen, he will live on in their hearts. No question about that. Very much a pride, but I'm a great believer that tonight is a matter of celebration, a celebration of Malcolm Dix's life, not a night of tears. Let's and celebrate I, the, the fact. Yeah, can, I, can I just, life. sorry, Steve, can I just ask a question? Do, do you think that um, Newcastle United should have a minute's silence before I, the Brentford game for him? I think Newcastle United must pay tribute to him and I want them to have a minute's applause, not a minute's silence. Absolutely. Because I want them to Fair applause the match. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Agree and with I that. Think, judging by the club's social media and judging by Mayor Dag Gaddusi's uh, social media, I think they'll be doing just that. Um, you know, I think there'll certainly be a, a you know, a, a minute's applause and a tribute within the programme, which is, I know, something that John and I spoke about yesterday, and I'm sure you and John uh, Gibson spoke as well, John Woff, about that. So, yeah, I'm sure that they will. Um, but, you know, it's nice that we've been able to pay a tribute. I've got so many stories and so memories, uh, many memories of, uh, of Malcolm, and I did put up a, a, an interview um, something I insisted on on the 50th anniversary of Sport Newcastle, actually, uh, that I came along and interviewed Malcolm Dix because although he gave a lot of newspaper interviews, he, he didn't do too many in front of the camera um, about him. Um, it was always about a battle that he was having or something that he mm -hmm. was doing or whatever. So I luckily managed to interview him. Uh, only three and a half minutes, four minutes, but uh, I, I've, I'll put the link to that into this programme once we finish. Uh, but you can find it on, on YouTube. It was loaded up last night. Um, and, you know, essentially just gave you a little insight into the man. And I also loaded last night a video, which I'd forgotten all about. Um, if you look for that flyer, it's on as Sir John Hall and Malcolm Dix. Uh, basically, we were invited down to Winyard, and this is a, a very special memory. Uh, Sir John invited us down to Winyard to spend a bit of time with the Magpie Group, uh, who were, first time they've been together for a while. And um, that interview is something that um, you know has been probably <laughs> under cobwebs for about nine years. But if you watch that, it gives you a great insight into Malcolm as a person. And uh, I know that when I loaded it last night at the uh, request of the family, it gave them a, a, a lot of pleasure. And um, I'm pleased to say that it actually put a smile on their face. It felt as if their dad was back in the room for, for the 90 minutes or so. So uh, get onto that, have a look at it. Um, and yeah, I'm sure Newcastle United will pay their respects uh, to somebody who we loved uh, very dearly. And uh, I will to Missy's notes, um, of which I got a plenty whenever we met for a coffee in Blake's uh, in Newcastle. <laughs> uh, and he always used to check up to make sure that you'd taken those notes. <laughs> uh, before we talk Newcastle United, I've got to give a shout out to the sponsors. Big thank you to Spider VPN uh, for sponsoring us again this month. For all your internet security, Google Spider VPN, they come up at the top of your Google search list. Uh, also, thank you to skipsandbins.com, telephone 0800 25 email inquiries at skipsandbins.com, website www.skipsandbins.com, easy contract free and pay-as-you-go waste collection. And thank you to LNG Family Funeral Directors, 01913897245, and aqtechshop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls End in Newcastle, and the guys who run our website, nufcmatters.com. Also, thanks to Jab Signature, the makers of our flyers. You can find all of their new leisure wear at jabsignature.co.uk. If you're a first-time visitor to the channel, please subscribe. Hit the Newcastle Legends logo in the bottom right-hand corner, and you can subscribe for free. We still do seven shows a week and a few more besides. Hit the thumb up to like the video. Click share to share your other social media. And drop into the comments box to leave 
uh, a comment or to chat to like-minded Newcastle fans. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast providers. And uh, usually that goes up within 24 hours of the show. Last chance, really, to get your tickets to see Malcolm and Gibbo at the Christmas due, November the 19th. All proceeds go to the food bank. Junior Turner will also be along to sing his latest song, which we previewed last week on The Three Amigos. And Peter Beardsley and I will be on stage Friday, November the 26th. Uh, at the Irish Centre a week after the Christmas due. Tickets for that £15. You can buy tickets for both events at newcastlelegends.com. Just click the shop and you can buy your tickets there. Bobix.com is where you buy your tickets for an evening with me and Malcolm. Again, another food bank night. Uh, Bobix is in Jesmond and uh, tickets for that are going quite well. It's only a small venue, though, so do not miss out. And if you want to make a donation to the food bank, even though it's International Week, it is still operational. NUFC fans, Food Bank, you can make a, a virtual donation to the match day bucket. And you can also uh, enter the raffle to win a pair of custom made Peter Beardsley signed trainers donated by I Am the Renovation. And those trainers are being raffled in aid of the Food Bank. The winner will be drawn at the evening with Peter Beardsley on the 26th. And don't forget as well, my book, Every Boy's Dream, is selling quite well on Amazon. <laughs> And in the back page in Newcastle and in the Metro Centre, 37 years of hurt. Hopefully, I'll have to write a new chapter about uh, the year that we won the league. You never know, lads. You never know. <laughs> and uh, that segues us nicely into uh, the appointment of our new manager, Malcolm uh, McDonald. We'll go to you, Super Mac, first. Um, Eddie Howe gave his official press conference yesterday. Uh, social media um, was was a buzz with delight. I think people were very impressed at the way that he, he, he handled his first training session. But then his first media session um, had the, the magpies cooing. Absolutely. Um, I think he's an absolute top-notch appointment. I really do. Um, the, the, <clears throat> the guy is probably the hardest-working manager that I've ever come across. Um, he will start before seven o'clock in the morning at the training ground um, and get out, make sure everything is absolutely prepared, that he's prepared to, to do what, um, uh, what he intends to do with all the players. Um, and he will work tirelessly um, with everyone as a team, but he will also work individually with players um, all of the while. And we will see um, players improving no end. And if they're not, they'll be out. It's as simple as that. He doesn't mess about this guy at all. Um, and he knows that he has got a huge task on his hands. Um, and uh, and he's not going to shirk it. He certainly won't. Um uh, and I, I, I can't help but think that that the players have almost gone part timers, and all of a sudden now they've gone they've got the other extreme, and they will be getting uh, um, a huge amount of training. Um, I think that he's he's looked and thought they're not fit enough. Um, he's looked and and seen that that the whole side is quite tactically inept um, and really needs working on. And this guy will be tireless. And he signed a two-and-a-half-year two contract. Um, but unlike Steve Bruce, he's got his family up here and they're, they're house hunting as we speak. And so uh, he's planning to settle here. And it... It wouldn't surprise me at all um, that uh, if, he, if he's here um, come the end of this uh, decade, this guy, is, is he works on the long term, um, but uh, um, will, bring, will, will bring huge improvement to what we've been witnessing over the last few years. Gibbo, you've covered some managerial appointments in your time. Where does this rate? Terrifically excited about it, without a shadow of doubt. 
it's been a very, very good week for Newcastle because for, we started off with the Eddie Howe appointment. Uh, he came over in his press conference magnificently. He talked on the front foot. He talked positively. He talked a lot of sense. Yeah. And while he's got the youngest, most cherubic face I've ever seen on any manager in my life, he is as hard as nails underneath. Because if you get close enough, those eyes bore through your mind, I can tell you that. So but he looks like a little cherub with a, ha a hand of iron inside the kid glove. And um, he was terrific on his interview. It's been a good week for PR for Newcastle. And when is the last time we said that? We've mm. had 14 years of no PR under Mike Ashley. I mean, if Mike Ashley said a word, it was just up yours. Where That's two words, actually. Whereas <laughs> New, Newcastle United with Eddie Howe, and then this afternoon, you might have caught it, guys, Amanda Stavely put out an interview on the Newcastle United official channel in which she interviewed about the situation on the back of how and how they're pleased with the Eddie Howe appointment and what they want to do for the club. And she said things like, we're going to absolutely overhaul the academy. Thank goodness for that. We're mm. going to give funds in January. Thank goodness for that. She said the right thing, which is it's an awful month to buy in. Nobody wants to do it then because the price is rocket and you don't get the best deals. But beggars can't be choosers. Newcastle United need players, so they'll get some in January. Um, and she also said that she could have waited, they could have waited to take over the club in, say, February about after they saw what happened in the transfer window and whether Newcastle were going to go down or not. But that was too late. If you cared, you took over the club now and you got on with the work now. And that's what's happening. She also said that she will communicate all the time with the Newcastle United fans. And if they make mistakes, and we all make mistakes, by the way, they will own up to it and they will rectify them. That line of communication that will come to the fans through the owners and through Eddie Howe is something we're not used to. Now, I know it can be very easy to say words are cheap and the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, i.e. results, etc. Uh, Eddie Howe's got a huge job because he's got to completely change the mindset of players who are used yeah. with timid tactics and fearful when going out there, please don't let us lose. We will defend on the edge of our penalty area or maybe on the edge of the six-yard line and hope for a note, note or hope for something on the break. Um, it will not be like that in the future. And anybody that says, and I've had it said to me regularly since Eddie Howe was appointed, you look at Eddie Howe's record, his sides were never able to defend the letting goals. This this is a man that got Bournemouth from a 17-point deficit to stay in the football league when they were going to go into the non-league mm. and take them all the way up the Premier League and keep them there for five years. But defences, <laughs> their defences were bad. Never stopped them going through all the leagues, by the way. And all I can say to anybody that says that he is a positive coach and therefore his defence lets in goals, is the last bloke that was accused of that was a fella called Kevin Keegan. And what absolutely. he did for United <laughs> was absolutely superb. If yeah. you want to let in three goals, Eddie, but you guarantee me four, that'll do for me. John, Wolf, um, yeah, exciting times. And I mean, you you and I were, were lucky enough to, to have uh, numerous uh, chats with Amanda and me and Dad in the build-up to this takeover and, and helping them, giving them some advice, etc. Um, I guess the other thing that I was delighted with Amanda with today was uh, in the interview, she went, the Sports Direct signs, I'm looking forward to coming down. It's a slight oh. frustration when I go into the stadium and I try to take a picture which doesn't have Sports Direct in it. Yeah, brilliant. 
But yeah, look, you you got to know Amanda, and I know you know the build. You know, we can now openly talk about it. But it was it was it was great, wasn't it? Really, we knew we knew last year. You know how how much these people would you know commit to the club if they were lucky enough to be the custodians of it. Yeah, absolutely, staying power. That's what came through all of the time that I was involved. I just felt if they break the door and get through, we will be there. And I, I, I personally wanted to get um, Eddie Howe in. That was my personal choice. Well, lo and behold, we actually get there. This guy will do it. Everything that John talked about is all there. Kevin Keegan, how great was the defence? It was great enough to win all them bloody games. It was great enough to actually get to a point where there was frenzy about, can I get a ticket? Can I get in? It is absolutely, in my view, another session. And I'm going to be lucky enough to see some of it happening again. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it is fantastic. And uh, lots of people in the chat as well, passing on the condolences to, to Malcolm, of course, but also celebrating the fact that we've got uh, new owners, a new manager. And uh, now we just need the results, I guess. Um, Malcolm uh, McDonald, Supermac, the, the next game um, that Newcastle have is, is, is Brentford at home. It certainly looks like a different game now than it probably did a few weeks ago. Um, looking mm. forward, looking forward to that, and, and hopefully, you know, we, we're going to get three points in that one, Malcolm. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, it's it's a good one to start with um, for the new manager, and uh, and also he will have um, a completely different spirit in the dressing room with all of the players. Uh, he doesn't suffer fools gladly. So players can't start messing him about as we witnessed them messing Steve Bruce about. Um, and Steve Bruce didn't seem that bothered when it was happening. This guy is an absolute 100% professional and, and he will demand exactly the same from every one of his players. And if they don't go out and perform for a solid 90 minutes doing everything the right way as he is demanding, they'll be out. They'll be gone. He will not mess around. And uh, uh, he's not going to let bad performance players affect his future, his career. And so he wants people who who want a career similar to his and, and that they'll, they'll work together, build together, and win together. And uh, it's going to be really interesting just to see the makeup of his side. He'll have, he'll have gathered an awful lot of information in, in these sort of uh, 10 days lead, leading up to, um, to his first game. Uh, good that it's at home, I think. Really good because he will experience that atmosphere in St. James Park. And when you think, that he's only managed at Bournemouth with an 11,500 um, maximum crowd, he's going to have 52,500 people absolutely screaming for him to do well. And if that's not the boost of a lifetime for him and for the players, I don't know what is. Last point I'll bring up with your Supermac as well is just the appointment potentially of Michael Emanalo. Obviously, um, you know, we know that he stepped down from his current position. Um, is that something you, you would like to see? We know that he's got a connection with, with Eddie Howe. We know that this guy does have success at the various clubs that he's been to. Is that, you know, is that the final cherry on the cake? Or as Senshai would say, is that the uh, the crown? Uh, is that the crowning moment for this particular takeover and, and new appointments? Right. I, I think that he'll be an absolutely super... Uh, uh, appointment and um, uh, and they are uh, um, uh, he and Eddie Howe 
they are absolute dedicated professionals at what they what they'll what they do and they will seek to work together to create um the the the, the football team that I think that Newcastle United deserve and certainly Amanda Staveley and and the rest of her uh, um board they deserve it as well for sure they do um and uh, and it it's all teamwork. It's working together um, that it, it, you have a manager who will identify um, what he needs, where the weaknesses are, and then uh, um, he'll have a fellow next to him who, who will look to discuss um, all the attributes of possible players that they could bring in and find out exactly what's required um, and I think it could be a very, very exciting relationship. And uh, do you know what I'm looking forward to most of all is sitting here in a decade's time and we talk about what these guys have actually been able to put together over that period of time and what we've got performing in front of us. It's going to take a while to overcome all the nonsense that uh, this poor club has had to endure um, over the last few years. It's all going to change now, but it will take time to get it to where everybody would like it to be. But, uh, hey, we start against Brentford. It's going to be a, a, a long but, I think, very enjoyable journey. Gibbo, um, obviously, the first question I'm going to ask you is, is it likely that this guy's going to come in, uh, Michael Enamelo? Yes, I, th I think it is. Uh, I think it's very likely. And this appointment, you know, is the second most important after the manager or equally important to the manager. Mm. Is that, there's no question because it, it, it's a, it's a two-man job. What I love about what we now face because we are in a deep mess. Let us not under... We have gone 11 games. We're the only team in the Premier League that hasn't won a solitary single match. That's how much we need to change things. But I look at it now, and we mentioned five minutes ago about Brentford's a different match now. And it is a different match, but it's a different match for two reasons, guys. It's a different match not only because we've got Eddie Howe in, who can change the whole concept of the thing, but Brentford have gone from a team that started off in the Premier League after 74 years with, th with three wins, three draws and only one defeat, and were steamrolling teams to have lost the last four. They already for us or we are ready for them now and we've got them at home and I fully expect without putting pressure on anybody because I don't want to do that I fully expect us to win and get our first win against Brentford but look at what is ahead immediately and Eddie Howe said we can't look for further forward than the right now because if we have our eye six months down the line it all goes pear-shaped now. And right now, we have three of our next four games all at home and at home against Brentford, Norwich City and Burnley. Norwich mm. City and Burnley mm. were in the bottom three with us. Now, we had wonderful, gentle fixtures like that at the start of the season. And Steve Bruce jocked them off. He didn't get the points that were needed. So when the tough matches come along, we were in deep claggy. I don't think Eddie Howe will blow what we've got now because he knows, and he referred to it in his press conference, what's coming in December is big games again. Tough mm. games. Liverpool, Man City, Man United. Are they tough anymore? I hope Ali doesn't get the sack. Um, but... We have a chance. Three of the next four games. Okay, we'll go to Arsenal in the middle of it. But we have got at home, Brentford at home, Norwich at home and Burnley at home. If we take that, the complexion of the team 
from where we are now to where we'll be then will be completely changed. I feel optimistic. I'm a believer again. Can we make it quick to get a trophy, by the way? Because uh, I'm getting on a time. I'm struggling, but I would like to get the trophy pretty quick. <laughs> John Woff, um, we'll, we'll give the last words to you. Um, yeah, the, a new, uh, you know, a sporting director, uh, you know, coming in above uh, Eddie Howe. I think we've all been, you know, uh, watching with interest as to how that would develop. The name that's been mentioned and subsequently the fact that he's now left his job would look as if this could be the second worst uh, kept secret in football. But good appointment if he comes in. Absolutely brilliant. But not. It's it's not um, something that surprises you when things have gone the way they have. You know, we've come along from the extreme worst case scenario with Ashley and we have travelled to the other end. So the things that are happening, I'm not surprised at all. And let's not forget, there are very, very good records of managers that come along and suddenly a team that is not playing and not successful at all, they start playing like different people. And that is, in my belief, the effect that we'll see over these few games. And I guess, you know, because you're not on every show, uh, John, let's have a prediction from you. I'll be getting a prediction of John Gibson and Malcolm next week, but give us a Give us a prediction from you for the Brentford game. 3-1. 3-1 to Newcastle. You heard it here first from John. Uh, delighted, as I, delighted, as I said at the start of the show, to share the screen with these uh, three guys tonight. And uh, as I say, I'm sure that we'll all be paying our respects and celebrating the life of our good friend, Malcolm Dix. Uh, may you rest in peace and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Take care. Good night. Get back with your critics attack